0: So I've been talking to you about Nehemiah for the last few weeks, and I'd like to conclude, I think, conclude that series today. And uh, I just want to recap a little bit of what we've talked about. But even in um, the recap, there's a lot of things that actually are are new. As I keep reading over this, new things just kind of come to life. So the book of Nehemiah is about vision. It's about leadership. It's about focus. And it's about building together as a godly community. And we see in Nehemiah 1, um, Nehemiah gets bad news about the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, and he mourns, and then he prays, and then he takes action. And this was actually over a four-month period that this happened. He gets this really bad news about Jerusalem, and the walls and the gates, that they're, they've been torn down, and, and the gates have been burned. And he actually, the first thing he does is he mourns. And we've been talking about, you know, especially us men, we're fixers. And we get bad news, and often our first reaction is, how do I fix this? Let's just, let's just fix it. But I love what Nehemiah did. He actually lets himself feel the emotion of what's happened, and he, and he mourns then he goes into the season of of praying and seeking direction from the Lord lord how do i respond to this and then he responds to the situation and nehemiah had a love for israel and for jerusalem and actually he was born outside of israel and he'd ever never actually been to israel but have you ever noticed that like it seems to be every jewish person but not just jewish people christians we seem to have this innate love for Israel. We just feel this connection to Israel. And even though he'd never even been to Israel, he had this pain in his heart when he had heard what happened. And he's like, I have to do something about this. So I love the process that he shows. That's a great process for when you get bad, bad news is actually let yourself feel the emotion then processed with the Lord, he prayed and he fasted, then he took action after he had vision. And Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is a lot about vision. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, it said, Nehemiah, uh, he, he has it in his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. This is what he gets from the Lord after seeking the Lord. He gets this vision to go and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we see that he has favor with the king. And the king gives him access to the places that he needs to go. And he gives him the resources to accomplish the mission. So again, look at this pattern. He, he finds this, here's this bad news. He, he processes it with the Lord. He allows himself to feel the emotion of it. He gets vision from God. And when he has vision from God of what to do, God opens up the doors for him with the king. Who would the king represent? God, yeah, our God. He gets favor with the king after he has this vision, and he gets two specific things from the king. He gets open doors, and he gets access to the materials that he needs to build this wall. So vision is so important. When we get the vision from God, open doors come, and then the resources from heaven will come along with it. So he gets to Jerusalem in chapter two, and he takes time to assess the damage, and then finally he begins to share his vision with his fellow Israelites. And in Nehemiah 218 it says this, and I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, Let's arise and build. So they said that. He presents this vision And they say, let's arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. In the uh, Amplified Version, it says this. So they thoroughly supported the good work. So in our church lives, you know, when we we get saved, there's definitely this season of rest and growth. It's kind of like a baby. A baby can't do anything but drink milk and sleep and pee and poo. That's pretty much all you do when you're a baby, right? They need constant attention. They need constant care. And this is kind of like the process of you coming into the kingdom. There's this season of just receive, 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 receive. But eventually, we want to grow to the place to where we connect to the vision of the place that we're in. And we say, God, what are you doing here? What are you building here? And how am I supposed to connect to the work that you're doing here? What is the part that you have me playing in here? Because we're actually all meant for vision. We're meant to know the vision of God for our life. We're meant to know the vision of God for our community, for in, in our church, to know the vision that we're a part of. And actually, that's why many of you are here is because you came and you got connected to a vision. You're like, they're going where I feel like the Lord is telling me to go, and I'm going to connect with this vision. And so we want to connect to the vision and ask the Lord, God, what are you doing here? And how can I be a part of it? And so that's what happened is they responded. They said, let's arise and build. Nehemiah brings this vision. They says, yes. They said yes to the vision. Let's arise and build. So we're all here. How I mean, know we're all here to serve his vision. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be great must become a servant of all. So he could have said, Whoever wants to be a leader must be willing to serve everybody. And, th- and we see this type of servant leadership from Jesus himself. He said, I didn't come to, to be served. I came to serve. And this is what it looks like to be a leader, but also to be connected to a vision is that we're actually here to serve one another and to serve the vision that God has given the church. So we're all here to serve his vision. Would you mind, is someone get give me a... Some water, please. Is that a new one? Thank you. (laughs) Well, no. Okay. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. It's a little dry. So ultimately, we're all here to serve uh, God through the vision that God has given. So now you also see in chapter two once the vision comes and once they begin to act in the vision, opposition comes. Oh, thank you so much. That's perfect. That's about all I need right there. (laughs) So, if you're going to be a person of vision, this is something I can promise you. This is not a threat. It's a promise. If you have a vision that God's given you or you're connected to a big vision you will have opposition. We do have an enemy. And especially, you know what? These guys left them alone until they stepped out in vision. As soon as they start to step into the vision, the opposition came. Do you know before the opposition comes, God's already provided a solution? Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but do not be overwhelmed, for I have overcome the world. What does that mean? He's already provided the solution. He already has the answer. And actually, opposition many times is actually a slingshot into your destiny with God. So in Nehemiah 2, chapter 19, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, uh, verse 19 and 20, It says, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked us and despised us and and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven will make us successful. Therefore, thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> it's anointed. Where was I? Verse twenty <laughs> said that verse twenty. We have it on screen. Awesome. The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, His servants, will arise and build. But you have no part, no right, or memorial in Israel. Now. The ruler of all of the land in this time is King Artaxerxes. This is the king that Nehemiah actually served. This is the same king that gave him not just permission to go but resources that he needed to do what he needed to do. And so now they said now they're saying to him, what what are you doing like And he answered them and said, "The God of heaven would make us will make us successful. Therefore, we, his servants, will rise and build. So he could have said, you know what? We have full permission from the king to be here and to do what we're doing. But he actually went a level above that. And he said, I'm actually on a mission from God. He could have put, pulled out the king card, but he pulled out a higher card. said, I'm actually here because God told me to be here. Nehemiah 3, we see details of all the people who responded to the vision that Nehemiah had to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and people are attracted to vision. People are not attracted to lack, they're attracted to vision, and chapter 3, it's interesting, chapter 3 details every single person, it gives every single person's name that came and supported this vision, and it's not that many people. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a decently long chapter, but it gives the names of every specific person. And this wall that they rebuilt, was it was an enormous project, 1.7 miles around Jerusalem. And it was just absolutely devastated, turned to rubble. And all these people are attracted to this vision. And it gives the names of every single person who came and worked on this wall. So here's an interesting fact. Nehemiah could not have accomplished what was on his heart without all these people responding to vision. He has this vision, but it would have been impossible without these people catching the vision, without these people responding to what God had shown him and saying, yes, let's arise and build and connecting to the vision So a vision without people who have a heart to work and serve isn't going anywhere. And in Nehemiah 4.6, it says the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. They didn't have a mind to meddle. They didn't have a mind to gossip. They didn't have a mind to whatever. They had a mind to work. They actually came and said, I want to connect to this vision. So what makes the community great is all the people coming together to support the vision of the community and the the, the vision that God has given the community. Yeah, so this wall was 1.7 miles long, and it had 10 gates and 8 towers. So this was a massive, massive project. And then in Nehemiah 4, so Nehemiah 4, if you're building anything that's of worth... And if you're going after the call of God for your life, you will have opposition and the enemy will try to come at you with his lies. And Nehemiah chapter 4 and chapter 6 are case studies in the type of lies that the enemy is going to throw at you. So if you get very familiar with what is being said by the enemy to Nehemiah in chapter 4 and in chapter 6, you've really got a, a great list of, like, these are the types of lies that the enemy will come at you with to stop you from accomplishing the vision that God's put on your heart. So this, this is some of the ones in Nehemiah 4. These are the main ones in, in chapter 4. I just want to go over quickly. They said, what are these feeble Jews doing? This was the criticism. They started to build, and here comes the lies of the enemy, the criticism, and it's all within earshot of the Israelites and in earshot, within earshot of Nehemiah. What are these feeble Jews doing? What are they saying? You're weak. You're feeble. You're not strong enough. You're not strong enough to do this. Who do you think you are? What are you doing? What are you doing? It's like, a, what, why would you even try? You're too weak to do this. Here's the second one. Are they going to restore it for themselves? Next, the accuser will come at you and question your motive. You're just trying to promote yourself. This is about you. This isn't about God. Why are you trying to promote yourself? You're just trying to exalt yourself. Are you going to restore this for yourself? You know, humility, one of the best definitions for humility is just stepping into the call of God for your life. That is the most humble thing that you can do is like, say, Here I am, Lord, send me. This is what humility is. Humility is not this feeling of guilt and shame. Like, if you feel guilt and shame, why? Well, I'm so humble. I'm just always shamed. <laughs> always. You know, guilt and shame will never give you access to the things that humility does. Guilt and shame will often mask as humility, but it's not humility. And it won't give you access to what real, true humility gives you access to. And real, true humility is, coming, is doing what Nehemiah did. He's coming into the presence of the Lord and saying, God, what do you want for me to do? What do you have? What is the vision? That's true Humility. I love James 4:6 it says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Here's another lie. Can they offer sacrifices? Can they offer sacrifices? They're talking about temple sacrifices. What what is the lie here? You're not spiritual enough. Can you even can you offer sacrifices? You're not spiritual enough to do that. You're not spiritual enough you haven't done enough for the Lord, you haven't read your Bible enough, you don't know enough words, you, don't, you, you just haven't done enough. Often we hear the voice of, you haven't done enough, you haven't read the Bible enough, we think that's the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, it's not. <laughs> it's the enemy trying to actually discourage you and disqualify you from stepping into something that God's prodding you to step into. And the enemy wants to step in and be like, oh, what what are you doing? You're not qualified to do that. You don't have enough experience in that. Here's another lie. Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble? Here's the lie. You don't have the ability to accomplish the mission. You don't have the right schooling. You don't have the right education. You're not smart enough. You can't do it. Can they revive these dusty stones just laying on the ground? Can they make that into a wall again? You can't do that. You don't have the right pedigree. You just, you can't do it. I'm telling you, if you're doing something from the Lord, for the Lord, take note of these lies. Because this is the ones that the enemy will come at you with. He's trying to discourage you. When God gives you vision, he encourages you. Encourage means he puts courage in you to do what he's called you to do. And the enemy wants to come right behind him and discourage you. Discourage means take courage out. He wants to take the courage out. You can't do this. Who are you think you are? You're not going to be able to do this. It's not the voice of the Lord. God used 12 uneducated fishermen to change the world. Actually, I think a couple were tax collectors, but (laughs) a lot of Let me say it again. God used a bunch of uneducated fishermen to change the world, (laughs) and I I think he did it on purpose because when they were moving in in the spirit, people knew. They're like, oh, this is God. This is God. They couldn't do this on their own. Here's another lie. Even if a fox were to jump on it, he would break their stone wall. What's he saying? Even if you accomplish anything, it's going to be worthless. It's going to be poor quality. It won't last. So it's good to know the lies of the enemies so that you can spot them quick, quickly. Now, the purpose of his lies are to demoralize you, dishearten you, and discourage you. He wants you to lose your hope. And lose your confidence. So if you're starting to feel like you're going into a place of hopelessness, you may want to check the things that you've been believing in your mind. You may want to check to see what, what happened, what brought this hopelessness. Was it a thought? Was it like something I believed that wasn't God? I want to talk to you about Nehemiah 4.10. And this might be the most powerful negative scripture in all of the Old Testament. (laughs) This appears to be very negative, uh, but it's a very powerful scripture. And Nehemiah 4.10, if you can go ahead and put it up, it says this, And so in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubble. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there's much rubble, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Now, I looked it up in the message, and I, I think I, we have it in the message too. Check this out in the message The builders are pooped, <laughs> the rubbish piles up. We're in over our heads. We can't build this wall. We can't do it. You don't. You are not going to see this one like on a, on the wall on a picture frame. Like. Now I, yeah. see, now I wanna have <laughs> this is them. Now it's interesting because they they were doing the right thing. They actually responded to God, and what He said to do. But this is them coming to the end of what they can do in their own strength, saying, God, we can't do it. This is actually a breakthrough, and this can be a huge breakthrough in your life. You're like, God, I'm doing the thing that you called me to do, but I feel like it's impossible. I can't do it. And he's like, finally, invite me in to do it with you. Depend on more of my resource, my ability, my ability to connect you to the right people. Because it can seem spiritual. And again, these lies get in of like, I got to make this happen. And I have to be worthy of this can be a lie. So I have to work hard enough and be worthy of it. And I have to make the right connections. And, and God's just sitting on the sidelines like, hey, this is my vision. I want to do this with you. And you've, you've kind of gotten into this thing where you think you have to make it happen. So this is a huge breakthrough for them to be like, we can't do this. This is too hard. This is, this is actually a breakthrough moment. And if you have that moment in business, if you have that moment at your job or in your family or wherever in your marriage, it's actually you're at the edge of a breakthrough. You're at the edge of a breakthrough. Because God's like, finally, why don't you partner with me and let me start to do this with you? And he begins to move things in ways that you never could. He begins to open doors that you could have never opened. He begins to bring people around you that you just could have never connected with. He does the thing. So not only did... He opened the door for Nehemiah in the beginning, and he gives them resource. But there's this moment where they probably got into their what they could do in their own strength. And then, again, God reaffirms, and he brings, he's like, no, I'm doing this. Let me do this with you. How many know God is not waiting for you to figure things out? We can believe that. Man, i got to figure this out. God gave me this mission, but now I gotta figure it out. He's not waiting for you to figure it out. He's waiting for you to surrender. Thank God I I don't I don't got the answer. So humbly go before the Lord. God, this is your vision. You gotta come through. God will give you a vision that's bigger than you. That's good news and bad news. Because you'll have to depend on him to accomplish it. If you have a vision that you're like, ah, I can do that. That's easy. That's probably not God's vision for you. He gives you a vision that's like, wow, this is bigger than I could do on my own. And it's interesting. There's so many amazing lessons in this this book of Nehemiah. I believe if you're a leader, we're all leaders, but... If you're like a leader in in business or in certain areas of your life, study this book. This is a book for leaders. Nehemiah, not only did he need God's vision, he also needed the people around him to connect to the vision. And he also needed a continuing blessing from the Lord and to stay out of trying to make it happen all in their own strength. God, I can't do this. I need you to show up. I need your help. I'm wiped out. What did it say in the message? I'm pooped. <laughs> I can't do this. I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. If you need breakthrough in this area, and if you're just, maybe you're resonating with what I'm saying, and you're just tired of trying to figure things out on your own, and you're like at that place where are like, God, I need you. I I. I've reached the end of what I can do. Just stand up right now. Just be bold. We're just gonna pray over you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, just hold out your hands. This is just an act of surrender. You know, when it, when someone surrenders, they put up their hands. They give up. just say this. Just say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need you to show up, and I believe that you will, because I know that you're good. Father, I pray for every person who's bold enough to stand. I pray for a breakthrough and I pray God that you are coming through even this week God that they're going to see, the God that you have given the vision and that you are coming alongside of them, God. God that this is something that you are doing and it's not going to have to be done in their own strengths. In Jesus name, amen. you can you can be seated. Amen. Thanks for being brave. Now I want to go to Nehemiah 6. Most of this has been review with some new stuff in there mixed in. But Nehemiah 6, we really haven't touched on much. So we're going to start in verse 1. I want to read through verse 9. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors and the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet together at Cherophim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning To harm me. Let me tell you this morning, don't go down to talk to the enemy in the plane of, oh, no. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't come off the wall. He's on the wall, and they're saying, come down. Come talk to us. Now, I'm not talking about physically talking to the enemy, talking to Satan, but this is a representation of entertaining the ideas of the enemy, entertaining the fears and the doubts. Don't come off the wall to go down and entertain the enemy and what he's saying to us. So I sent messengers, verse 3, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. Do you see the persistent attack of the enemy? They sent the same message four times. No, come down. Talk to us. This is like the bombardment of the lies of the enemy, all those lies we talked about. You're not good enough. You can't do this. It's not going to work. You're not strong enough. You don't have the right pedigree, and it's persistent. But each time, he responds with the same response. Nope, I cannot come down. I'm doing a good work. Why should I come down to talk to you? So each time that those lies of the enemy come, we need to respond with the word of the Lord. Respond with what he has told us. No, I I am on target. The Lord has shown me to do this, and I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. Too many Christians entertain the lies of the enemies. It's thoughts and value systems that war against what God has told us and the vision that He's given us. Don't come down off the vision to entertain the lies of the enemy. He only wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Verse 5, then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. What's an open letter? This is like, it's open. It's not sealed. Anybody can read it. This is like all the accusations of the enemy get, get put on Facebook against you for everybody to see. Gets put on Instagram. This is what this is what your motives are, this is what your intentions are, this is who you are, this is why you're not qualified. He gets put on blast. This is this is what an open letter is. I'll give credit to Bill Johnson for this one, because I heard him say it. He said, the more you move in vision, the more that you'll be a target of open letters. The more that you step out into what God has you doing, the more that you're going to be a target of criticism. You know, some of the people in the body of Christ that are doing the most for the Lord are the ones that are the most criticized, unfortunately, by other Christians. So, verse 5 again, the Sanballat, Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same banner a fifth time, this time with an open letter in his hand. Verse 6 In it was written, it, was, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king, according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them are trying to frighten us. This is a key. This is the... This is the whole purpose of the lies of the enemy to frighten you, to get you to go into fear. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, here's the answer to what we read earlier. Verse 14, where they're like, we can't do it. God, we need your strength. Now, oh God, strengthen my hands. So four times in chapter 6, Nehemiah says, they were trying to frighten me. They're trying to get me to go into fear so that the work would stop. You know, the most repeated command in all of Scripture is do not fear. This is the most repeated command in all of Scripture. Do not fear. You know, what's so encouraging to me about that is that means it's actually possible. That we can actually... Do that. We can actually live our life completely free of fear. So, the enemy will do anything that he can to get you to stop following the vision of God for your life. If you're on a mission, the enemy will come and try to get you off course. So, in this story, the enemy is trying to get Nehemiah off the wall so he could literally kill him. But the symbolism for us is the enemy's goal is he wants to kill the vision that God gave you. He wants to kill that vision before it has a chance. Verse 9 says this, For all of them are trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. This is... A prayer for strength. God, the enemy is trying to bring fear. He's trying to discourage me. He's trying to get me to give up. But, oh, God, give me strength. Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I need your vision. I need your strength. I need your uh, provision to come alongside of me. I need your resources. I need your connections. God, give me the strength from heaven. Also in chapter 6, the enemy hires a prophet from Israel to deliver a false prophetic word that was intended to bring fear. So these people outside of Israel, they actually hire prophets from inside of Israel to bring false prophetic word to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah 6.13 says this, He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. So I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but fear actually causes us to sin. He says he was trying to get me to fear so that I would sin, so that they would have a reason to reproach me. Now, they had already been spewing all these lies against Nehemiah. But here's here's what's interesting. The enemy is so dirty. All these lies against Nehemiah. And then they try, the lies are, the purpose of the lies are to bring fear. And then if he actually entertains the fear, he actually will do something that is sin so that they can point to that sin and say, see, everything we've said about him is true. That's what it says. He hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act according to sin, that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. So fear will lead us to sin, which will lead us to a false validation of the enemy's accusation against us. "See? See what they did? Everything I've been saying is true. So when we experience fear... You know, probably nobody here has ever experienced fear, but you can just take notes for other people out there that might have experienced fear. No, we've all experienced fear, and fear is actually a spirit. Second Timothy two says, "I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but I've given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind." So when we experience the spirit of fear, we have a couple choices. We can. We can, actually. Take it to the Lord and step back into faith, repent, say, No, I don't agree with that. The fear is ideas, thoughts, value systems that war against what God has said. No, I don't agree with that. And we step back into faith, or it will cause us to step into sin. Let's read verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th on the month, Elul, in 52 days. Say, yay. (laughs) The wall was completed. This is the victorious scripture. I love just a couple chapters before. They're like, we can't do it. It's too hard. Two chapters later, the wall was completed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, what Israel couldn't do in 70 years, they did in 52 days. 52 days when someone showed up with vision, and not just vision, but they refused to entertain the lies of the enemy, and they had focus. No, this is the vision. This is what God says, and I'm not going to sway off of what he said. I'm not going to entertain the lies of the enemy. I'm going to stay on vision. Nehemiah is a book about vision and focus and about discerning the lies of the enemy. Verse 16, when all the enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. When we stay on vision, there's a point where the enemy loses his confidence against us. They lost their confidence. They had so much confidence in the beginning. Remember that? They were like, what are you doing? What are you even trying to do here? Or laughing at them because they actually believed their own lies. But then when they actually stepped into the vision that God had given them and they actually saw it through, there was a point where the enemy lost his confidence. And I want to declare over you this morning and prophesy over you that the enemy is losing his confidence against you. The vision of Awaken Life Church is this, to awaken and empower God's church to impact our culture, connecting people to God's love, grace, and to their true identity in Christ. And we do this in various ways through various different ministries. You know, we, we have so many ministries that we've been praying into for years that have finally got launched in this, this, next, this previous past season. We have an inner healing center that we're so excited about, our freedom center, where we do sozo ministry. It's inner healing ministry. We do uh, our ministry school, ALSSM, which equips people to do the work of, of ministry that's been led by Vincent Stephanie. And we have a school. We have a school for our little ones, K through nine, that we've had a vision for a long, long time to do that and to launch that. And just, there's so many things that we're still pregnant with in this church, but that is our our vision, is that we want to impact our culture uh, through awakening and empowering God's church and connect people to God's love, grace, and to their true identity in Christ. And we want to see strong families strengthened and marriages strengthened and people. We've seen so many people in this past season just delivered from, um, from addiction and from issues and from things that have kept them from just running after Christ. And it's so good to see those things. It, it makes us, it reminds us of why we're here. We're like, that's why we're doing this. We want to see healthy families, people running together, holding each other's arms up, building each other up to see all that God has for each person come to pass. And we want to lock arms as one community and say, God, what is your vision? And we want to run after it together. Nehemiah could not have done what he did without everybody coming together and saying, what's the vision? And we want to do this together. Let's arise and build together. So I want to tell you this morning, it's time to arise and build. And so I challenge you to ask the Lord, how can I be a part of the vision of this church? And yes, you should have a family vision. You should have a marriage vision. But also the community that you're connected with, it's so important to connect to the vision of the house that you're in because there's there's not only blessing in it for everyone together, but there's blessing in it for you personally, and it's what we're meant to do. We're meant to run together to find our tribe, to connect, and to do something that's bigger than ourselves, amen? What they accomplished together building that wall was so much bigger than themselves, and I love that scripture, the Nehemiah 4.10, where they realize this is bigger than us. We can't do it. So we might hit a wall even and say, this is bigger than us, God. Together, what all we can do? And that's when God shows up even more. Amen? Amen. I want to invite Pastor Joy to come on up.